Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Ashish Malik, who is the CEO of BVT, B Vectoring Technologies, listed on the TSXV. I'm delighted to say their ticker is BEE. And that's because they use bees to deliver biologicals to plants. Um, and this is to protect the plants from you know, insects, infections, molds, and sort of uh, general harm. It also delivers nutrients to enhance the growth and productivity of the plants. So a rather unique way, well, it's been studied for 20 years, it's a rather unique way um, of commercializing the distribution of uh, biologicals rather than chemicals into the food system. Enjoy the podcast. Ashish, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Matthew. Very good, very good. Where are you speaking from? I am speaking from Sacramento, California, the biggest state in the U.S. Wow, it's beautiful, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, been there many, yeah. many, many times. But hey, look, um, thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited, and I think most of uh, the viewers here know I'm, I'm a big bee guy. They get to see photos and videos of my um, my work, um, and you're going to talk loosely around that subject today. So um, I'm very excited to uh, be talking to you. But so why don't you kick off, give us that one minute story, uh, background, elevator pitch, and then we'll pick it up from there. Sounds good. So uh, B Vectoring Technologies is a company that's developing a new tool that changes how farmers grow their crops. And so we as a society uh, need to figure out a way how we can actually double the productivity for every land of, uh, every acre of land that we farm on but in an environmentally sustainable way, in a way that's good for the environment, reduces the amount of chemicals that the farmers use and generally rests less resources. So BVT has developed a technology which uses biological products. And these are products that have a natural origin, but have a positive effect on, on the crop to improve plants' health and help them fight diseases and pests. So we have biological products, but what we are really addressing is how these products are delivered onto the crop. So historically, a farmer will will spray a product onto their crop, which is actually inherently quite inefficient. And so we have developed a system which uses the natural pollination process of bees, and we harness that process to deliver these biologicals to crops in a very targeted way using commercially managed bees, whether they be hum, uh, honeybees or bumblebees. Okay, fantastic. Thanks. And we'll go, we're going to get into that in a second because it's, it's, it's fantastic. I right. really, really like what you're doing. Um, but I need to you know, also tick a few boxes here. So um, let's talk about where this story started from. What was the origin of this? Yeah, so the idea of using bees as vectors, right, to deliver biological products from crops has been studied in academia for close to 20 years now. Uh, it actually started, our, our, um, our business started by, by some researchers at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. And uh, it's, it's only been fairly recent that uh, we've been organized as a company to figure out how to bring this technology on a commercial scale. So, you know, not from an R&D academic perspective, but one that is user friendly, that farmers can use every day, not only farmers here in the US, but farmers around the world. Uh, so our, our journey, BBT's journey actually started in 2012. Um, that was when the company was first founded on this idea of using bees as vectors. 
it advanced to a point in 2015, the company got listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange in uh, here in Canada. And then in the last uh, uh, year or less than a year actually is when we've actually achieved commercialization. So we got our regulatory approval from the US Environmental Protection Agency late summer last year. And here in the last uh, few months was when revenue, the revenue journey for us has started. So that's kind of a quick, a quick snapshot about our history. Right. Now, how long have you been with the company? I joined in 2016, September of 2016. And why did they bring you in? So, what, what, what problem were they trying to solve? Like I mentioned, the, the founder of the company, who, by the way, is still very active uh, with, with the company and, and one of the largest shareholders, he had reached a point where, I mean, he didn't have the industry expertise, right? So he he knew enough about engineering and as an entrepreneur, but realized that to take this company to the next level, he needed to bring somebody in from within uh, the agricultural space. So that's when I joined. I was working at Bear Crop Science at the time. I connected with Michael as kind of an advisor initially, and then in September 2016 became the full-time CEO. So, so tell us about you then. Okay, if you're the guy that's been brought in to solve the problem, yeah. What what have you got? Yeah. What have I got? So I've been in the ag in industry locker? for about. Eight... <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in the ag inputs industry for about eighteen years, and it's actually it's interesting. A lot of my peers have come from within. I've grown up on farms and and things like that, but but that's not me. You know, I I actually am an engineer by training, hmm. but about eighteen nineteen years ago, made a a shift, kind of coincidental with when my wife and I started raising a family and I started thinking about, you know, food and, and, and the legacy and future generations and so on and so forth. And it sounds a little, you know, corny in a sense, but it really is true. It was a bit of an epiphany. And I, and I joined the ag industry back then. I felt that I could use my skill set to make some impact there. Uh, and I've been, you know, I've worked in, in this space now for 18 years. I've worked with at the two biggest global multinationals in the space. I've worked at Syngenta and at Bayer. I've worked um, on an entrepreneurial setting in a late stage startup at AgriQuest. I was a member of the senior team to take that company through a successful exit. And then now I'm with BBT. So it's the fourth company that I've been within the ag input space. Right. And so now how, is this, how is this space described? You're, you're sort of within the sort of biological space in, in a way, which is which right. about pesticides, stimulants and fertilizers. But this doesn't quite fit any of those, does it? So it really does. So what happens, um, so biologicals are products that are now be, are being used more and more favorably as alternatives to chemicals. And then this trend, you know, started some time ago, but really started, and it was usually products that were kind of limited in scope to organic agriculture. So the use of these products, and these products are, by the way, you know, products that are derived from a natural source of some sort. So they might be plant extracts, or they might be microorganisms, bacteria or fungi. And, and these products have uh, had now been, uh, you know, proven to be viable economically and then from an efficacy perspective, alternatives to chemicals. And, and I, I actually worked in the early years of that journey. You know, when, when I was at AgriQuest, we were a leader in the R&D space for biologicals. And I was a member of the, the senior team. I was responsible for all global marketing and development activities for the company. And we started a dialogue with the big ag chem players, right? So these companies like Syngenta and Bayer and BASF, who 
were kind of they were they were reading the tea leaves and they knew that their chemical portfolio was going to be coming under challenge and so they were looking at you know how do we incorporate biologicals into our portfolio and they hadn't quite figured out the right approach and we showed them that the right approach was kind of an integrated approach today that's called integrated pest management but it's really a combination of chemical and biological products being used in unison together with one another as opposed to kind of competing with one another. And this kind of hybrid approach is what took legs and kind of it led to this industry transformation. Bayer bought AgriQuest, Syngenta's made acquisitions, Monsanto had previous to becoming Bayer and, and so on and so forth. So biological products now, when I, when I left Bayer, for example, Bayer was selling these products in 55 countries around the world. So there are mainstream agricultural products now. Okay, but the, the total size of the market is relatively small. And so, if I, I've, so I've got 2018 numbers around seven to eight billion dollars. Um, I guess that will have grown a little bit since then, but it's still relatively small. I mean, what, what's what's holding this back? Given this whole, you know, we, we, we talk to companies about ESG and being, you know, socially responsible, and there's green movements, and so I think there's a real movement for it. There's a desire for it. What are the barriers for you? Well, I think it's awareness. It's awareness and finding the right, you know, efficacy, the right programs within which to use these products. So, I mean, you're, you're right that it's relatively small from a $60 billion pesticide space, right? So less than 10%, thereabouts, or 10 percent-ish. Uh, but the use of biological product is increasing at 15% per annum on a compounded basis. And the use of chemicals is flat. So it's it's a journey as opposed to, you know, just kind of a, a step change. And I think, you know, one of the early knocks against biological products was that they just weren't efficacious. A farmer would use them, but it would come at a penalty. Well, not anymore. These products are just as effective in uh, in, in, in if they're used according to the, the manufacturer's recommendation. So it's really a question about, you know, bringing awareness down to the growers level in, in, in each country where you want to sell the products. And, th and that's why it takes time. But, you know, consistently now for the last at least seven or eight years, we've seen the use of biologicals increasing 14, 15, 16 percent per annum. So we expect that to continue. So t tell me about, tell me, let's kind of like paint a picture for people watching this and go, right, um, here's a scenario uh, about the way that it is used. So you are a farmer will acquire uh, your product, and then, then what do they do? I mean, how, how do you sell this into the market? Is I guess what I'm getting at. Is it down to you, or do you do you sell through a channel, or how does it work? Yeah, no, you, you know, it's interesting because I mean, you've got a whole network of distributors and and retailers that the farmer can go and and buy their seed or the ag inputs right from the shop down the street. Um, so we have to as BBT, we have to play within that infrastructure, right. which we do. But also for us, what's what's kind of unique is we're, we're developing a new delivery system, right? So we're using the bees to deliver these products to crops. So we have to also educate the farmers on, on how to use managed beehives. So we have a, you know, a presence directly in the field. We don't rely on distribution ourselves. They provide a service for us, but the message technical message and how the system works we're we're currently bringing that directly over time we'll probably have business partners that will help us 
but at this early stage in our kind of evolution, we're doing it ourselves. Okay, so so where do where do you guys sit in the context of biologicals? So you're saying biolo- biologicals is growing at fifteen percent a year. You are a little bit more complicated right. than that because you because of the delivery system. Yeah. I these gorgeous little bees that are you know doing the pollinating job, but also the job of directly targeting the plant rather than I guess wasting a lot of biological all over the plant. So. You've, you've kind of got some additional barriers there. So how much of the current biological market have you got and what are you aiming to try and get? So, you know, we've, we've modeled the opportunity for BVT. So let me take a step back. So the, the product, the biological product, uh, is the product that has the effect on the plant, right? So it's the, it's the product that's going to help the plant fight different diseases, botrytis, monolinia. I mean, I can name them for yeah. your audience. It may not mean much, but there are these pathogens that this uh, that our products help fight. There's other pests that affect the crop in and around the flower. And so there's biological products that could be used to affect those crops. Uh, so we call that the plant treatment product, right? The plant treatment agent. And then the second question and the, the second step in the process, is how does it get to the plant? And traditionally the farmers will spray. Now the problem with spraying is it's extremely inefficient. So imagine you know um, a, a field of strawberries and the farmers passing across it with a tractor. And you've people have probably seen pictures of this. The water is going everywhere. The spray is going everywhere. It's not getting to the plant. It's getting to the soil, to the area between the plants. It gets into the water system. So there's a very small percentage of the active ingredient that gets to the flower. Well, on the flip side, if you think about a bee, right, what is what, what is a bee's mission in life, a worker bee, right, a forager? Well, their goal in life, their role is to go to the flower because that's the resource for them. That's where they get their, their nectar or their pollen, carbohydrates and proteins, which they bring back to the hive. So what a worker bee is doing is high flower, high flower, high flower. They're just making this journey back and forth. So we're just utilizing that process to deliver the biological product from the hive, because that's kind of where the dispensing system is, and it goes right to the flower. So we've been able to demonstrate that it is extremely efficient because you're getting it right to where it needs to be. And over the course of a season, we've shown that we can get the same effect on an acre of strawberry field using one two hundredth one two hundredth the amount of active ingredient than a spray program would would mean. Right. And oh, by the way, it's biological, though it's inherently less toxic and it's safer than a chemical. So there's kind of these two benefits: Great. more targeted delivery and biological versus. Great. Chemical. So basically, what you're saying is you've got these uh, work, literally worker bees who you're coating, or they're either walking in, or they're, they're getting coated in whatever they're you're targeting. I guess you've got strawberries, blueberries. All sorts of different crops that you can target, right? With with, with different products, um, they go out and do a jo- much more targeted job. So, talk people through because I've had a read through this. I thought it's fascinating because it's the, the cost side of things can be measured in different ways. It's not just about the the, the cost of the you know, biological solution, but in terms of some of the things that you know, the other savings that that uh, are there. So, if you don't mind, sort of running through some of those things. Yeah, of course. So I, I want to an interesting um, an interesting point here is 
you, you describe the system quite well. We have a we have a powder that's contained in a tray, and the tray goes inside the beehive on the exit side of a beehive. So when the bees are leaving, they pick up this powder on their legs and they fly to the crop carrying kind of quote unquote a payload, right, of, of mm. biological bee safe biological organisms. Uh, the beauty about the system is the bee can actually carry multiple microbes. So our product helps a blueberry grower or a strawberry grower fight diseases like botrytis, which are gray mold or mummyberry. These are commonly found pathogens for those crops. But over time, as we develop our business and we can, you know, incorporate two or three uh, microbes into that powder, we could also help through that same payload deliver a product that'll help fight different insects and other diseases that our particular microbe doesn't. So the value proposition of this technology is just going to increase over time on a per acre basis for the farmer. The way the uh, the way the, the the value proposition is built is through this delivery system, the farmer can, you know, clearly reduce the amount of chemicals that they're spraying. So they get a direct benefit by reduction in the in the use of chemical fungicides or over time chemical insecticides. But what we've also shown is that the system increases yields, regardless of whether there is a disease present or not. And that comes because you get a better pollinated crop. You've also got um, our microbe being a biological also has other plant health attributes, which actually stimulate growth. And overall, by reducing the chemicals, you're de-stressing the plant as well. So all these things translate to a higher yielding crop. So the value proposition is on the one side reduction of the chemicals, but also yield increases. And at the end of the day, that's what the farmer wants, right? They want more berries per acre of land. But I guess they also don't want to be driving tractors, spraying things around, because that's diesel time, hardware, well, yeah, machinery, yeah. all of that kind of good stuff. Um, so I think that's that's what interests me. Because like, it's a kind of complex delivery mechanism, it's, you, you have, there, are, there are going to be use cases where not all farmers know how to um, raise bees rear bees you know they don't know how to do that so it's another thing that they're going to have to get into or try to understand uh, and buy into mm -hmm. because financially it will save save them money it will save them time and increase yields and all of that kind of good stuff which they which they need to hear but um it's that must be a barrier in some cases so surely some farmers like forget it i'm I can't be bothered with this this B B stuff. It's too complicated. How do I get even distribution across the the seasons uh, which, when they are yeah. uh, working? So, so the interesting point there is there's actually a whole industry around the use of bees for pollination. Well, I've seen, I've seen the so is it macadamia and already. almonds in in um, California? They is that almonds? Right? Almonds is massive. So yeah. I'm I mentioned I was in Sacramento, which is at the northern end of the central valley and there's about a million acres of almonds that are that are you know planted 80 percent of the world's supply of almonds comes yeah. from the central valley in california and every february right middle of february right around valentine's day as a matter of fact yeah. these almond trees start blooming and and there's a million beehives that the farmers are renting for 150 to 200 dollars per unit a lot of money, $150, $200 per, per hive. Yeah. 
times a million hives, you can do the math, Yeah. Um, $200 million roughly every year on um, play at, for, for using these bees on a three-week period to pollinate the almond tree. And these bees pollinate three trillion flowers. It's an established industry. And then what happens is the bees move up the Pacific coast. They go to the Pacific Northwest. They'll pollinate blueberries and, um, and apples and poem and cherries. And then they'll come to the Midwest and they'll do sunflowers. So there is this commercial bee industry that we kind of piggyback off of. Got it. So That's where it's getting to. We are doing okay. right. So we we're we're not creating something from scratch. We already have an established infrastructure that we are utilizing. And and bumblebees, for example, in Europe are used uh, in greenhouse production. Tomatoes and vegetables that are grown in Spain, they all use bumblebees. Uh, to help pollinate the crop. So that's how we would approach the European market. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's so far, most of the, the crops that we had the most success with are crops where the farmers are already used to having bees on their on their farms. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I saw a sort of Net, Netflix special about the uh, almonds. Yeah. For, yeah, because I think it was around the time I saw Varroa mites was, a, was, an, was an issue uh, in the industry. Dis the disappearing bees, etc. Yeah. Okay, so so you, you work you work with um, with those guys to kind of help um, you know get get your product out there. But what what are the other barriers to this? You know, why are people not latching onto it as quickly as perhaps you would want? Well, so so we have we operate in in a regulated industry, right? So we want to be able to make a claim as a biological fungicide. Uh, so we had to go through the regulatory approval of process with the EPA which we completed last August. So we didn't have license to sell until September of last year. Um, the interesting thing there is we were the first product in the, in the US that gained a registration for delivery using bees. So we've created this new category in, uh, within the EPA, which then will allow us to develop additional products for the same use pattern. So we had to get that approval. And then once you get the approval, you start the sales process and it's, it's fairly typical when you're selling to a farmer and their sales cycle is typically a three season cycle. You know, they'll, they'll, their first season, they'll, and this is true of any new technology, right? They'll want to kind of kick the tires in the first season. You may have to give them some free product for them to play with the second season. If they see good results, they may buy for five or 10% of their field. And then they'll start measuring how it does. And then the third year's season, they'll, will you know, hopefully if it works, you have widespread adoption. So we're in that very early stages of that three, three year cycle. So our revenue is kind of small. We also don't have a big sales force. So we're just getting going as a company, right? But over time, we get more crops, we get more salespeople, we're in the third year of that two three year cycle, we get more registrations globally, and, and you'll really start seeing the business accelerate in two to three years. Yeah, we've seen the same issues in the fertilizer space when companies are starting up yeah, absolutely. Uh, as well. Absolutely. You, you, you gotta get the supply chain sorted. Um, so tell me about the corporate structure. So you're, you're, you're listed at the moment, what's your market cap? So we're listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange, TSXV. So it's kind of the junior exchange to the Toronto main exchange. And we've been listed since 2015. Our market cap is right around 30 million Canadian dollars, which is 22, 23 million US dollars. So okay. we're a small cap company, yeah. um, but, but we've got you know, a tremendous uh, uh, opportunity moving forward. 
And has that, and with regards to the cash flow, it is small. You said, um, is that are you self sustaining yet, or are you reliant on having raised cash recently? No, we have to raise cash. I mean, this is a company that probably won't be profitable for another few years. And so the way we've raised money is through private placements. That's how we've done it, um, you know, until thus far. In 2020, we've started talking to some more sophisticated strategic investors that are more longer term investors that may also have some connections that could help us as a business. Uh, unfortunately, the COVID situation has slowed that down because these are people that, you know, like seeing management face to face, not as opposed to through a video. And so we're trying to get, you know, we're getting still used to a new way of operating. Uh, but I, we expect that later this summer, we will re-engage with those people once again. But, you know, the retail community across Canada has been very good to us. We just raised $650,000 a couple of weeks ago. And if we need to go back and raise through a family and friends type offering, we have that option as well. Okay, this is going to take a while to kind of get going. I can see you attracting a you know a certain type of investor who, you know, for the reasons that you you um, got into this space from engineering, who like the green component of it. But that in itself is not going to be enough for most people. They're going to want to have some kind of financial return to this. So. What what type of investors are you after? You talked about fam- friends and family there, but they're also going to be long, patient holders too, don't they? Right. No, absolutely. I think I think that you know if you look at our capital structure, we have probably about forty percent of the company that's held by insiders, by management, uh, the founder, and two or three strategic you know individuals that are in it for the long haul. Uh, the remaining 55 percent is more more public. But what we're finding is uh, the people that are holding uh, BBT position recognize that this is a long-term journey, but they feel very passionate about what it is that we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do at the same time is educate that uh, that investors shouldn't be looking at the absolute kind of revenue in in in, in 2020 to make a decision whether because that's we don't frankly want that kind of investor. We want people to recognize that three years from now. This is a multi-million dollar company in a multi-billion dollar space that also has got a number of strategic partnerships, which could possibly lead to an exit, right? So this is a technology that within the portfolio of a bigger ad company suddenly can be, you know, more used across the board, right? More widely in, in Latin America, Europe, North America, Asia. So that's the longer term vision to have a series of partners that can bring this system to market in a whole bunch of local local countries. And is it so the investor that recognizes that journey is the one that we're trying to attract. And do you worry about competitors? I mean, this is imitable, surely. Yeah, of course, we have to worry about about competitors. But a couple of points there. One is, you know, we from the very beginning have invested very heavily in an, uh, a big patent portfolio. So we have about five different aspects of our technology from the microbe to the special powder that attaches to the bees to the apparatus that goes with a commercial honeybee or a bumblebee hive. So five different aspects of technology have patents. We have 65 patents worldwide. Another 30 are in kind of patent pending stage. 
Um, we're not just going to rely on those patents, but what that does mean is that companies that want to participate in this space more than likely have to work with us and we can then decide who we license the technology to. Uh, but what we are also doing very aggressively is building a, a portfolio of partners that we believe would be good go-to-market partners for us, partners that also have other candidates of microbes that could be good, you know, good for delivery using bees that hit this particular criteria around being safe for the bees and, and, and kind of protecting a plant against a pest that affects the flower zone. So we're building those out as well. And as, as we keep doing that, what we'll find is that we're going to become more and more attractive to partners as well. Partners or, or takeouts? Cause, cause... Uh, potentially, right. I mean, we're, we're, we want to build this business for, uh, to be a strong independent company. Uh, somewhere along the way, if a discussion on a, on a, on a takeout comes up, comes up, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That's currently not, you know, something that we are saying is our objective, but that could be an outcome of our, of our So you're not building yourself to be taken out by some pharmaceutical company who needs some kind of green credential as part of their portfolio? Not necessarily, no. What we, if we, if we were to get you know, uh, taken out, if we were to merge with a bigger company, one of the criteria would be that it's not just a greenwashing approach from that other player, but it is a true integrated, you know, approach of their strategy. I mean, the example there is, is AgriQuest. I was at AgriQuest from 2008 to 2012. We built the business. We had about 15, $16 million in revenue, and we had a number of partners, BSF, Bayer, Monsanto, Syngenta, that we were in some cases had contracts with and uh, and ultimately Bayer bought us. And the reason we were okay with that acquisition is because it wasn't, it was not a greenwashing strategy. It was just Bayer wanted to, you know, own what was gonna be their future. And, and I specifically stayed for four years at Bayer to make sure that these products were fully integrated and like I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, when I left, Bayer was selling products in 55 countries. So it was not a check-the-box green, greening strategy. It really was a business strategy. So that would be the same, you know, filter that we would have to use at BVT if we reached that if we reached that point. Beautiful, Ashish. Thanks so much for running through that. I mean, great overview. Love the story. I wanted to, so much. Wanted to talk to you guys and try and understand where you're coming at it from. Um, and I now have a better idea of how it works, which is a great start. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can hook up and get into a little bit of detail next time. Um, you know about how the, the, the you know the biological side of the company and what you're trying to create with that. Because you know I'm, I think everyone's just always interested in the uh, delivery system because that because because of the bees. But there's a much more sure. um, serious side to this. So appreciate your time today, and we'll speak to you again soon. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.